0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, I was not expecting that. Jeez. Uh, am I in the right church? No, I'm, I'm in the right church. You're the right people. Praise God. It's so good to see you all. Your excitement is uh, amazing. Um, and you know what? It, there's nothing wrong. Everything's right when you're excited about God. When you're excited about God's word. How many of you know that love and truth, are essential for any relationship, yes. you know that, right? You do know that? You understand the power of love and truth in a relationship, that in a relationship in a marriage uh, a relationship with your children, truth and love plays a big part, and truth and love also plays a big part in understanding and walking in a relationship with God. Uh, last week, we started a new series entitled "Love Made Away." And last week, we simply learned this, that God made a way for us through Jesus, right? We learned that God made a way for us through Jesus. And we learned that from John 3, 16 and 17. Now, I'm not going to get into that scripture, but simply put, the scripture alludes to the fact that when God approached the entire world, he gave his one and only son, right? He loved the world so much that he gave. And what he gave was his son as a sacrifice for us. Verse 17 goes on to tell us that we, that he did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but to save us. And so God did not send Jesus. God did not come in the form of a man to this world to point fingers, to put people down, to give religious uh, activity and rules. That's not how God operates. God operates according to two things, grace and truth. I want to show you something about God's love and how God operates in every regard according to his love. Let's turn our Bibles real quick to Psalm uh, chapter 136, and we're going we're gonna to look at verses 4 through 13. Psalm 136, verses 4 through 13. Now, I could read this whole chapter, but I'm just going to read these select few verses. And watch what it says. It says, give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. It says, his faithful love endures forever. Now, I know for some of us, we're using our Bibles and maybe in a certain translations, it says, his mercy. But that word mercy there literally speaks of God's loving kindness. That's what it's talking about. And so verse 5 says, Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love or his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day, his faithful love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule the night, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt, his faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt, his faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea, his faithful love endures forever. Forever, If you read the rest of these verses, what you'll find is that it's a song. A psalm is a song, but the song literally illustrates something. God did amazing things, but the means by which he did it and the motivation behind everything that God created and does is his faithful love, his loving kindness. In everything, love was behind everything. Every action that God took. Everything that God has done is synonymous with His love. Why is that important? Because if we can't understand the depth, the height, the width, the length of His love, we can't understand a relationship with God. We can't live according to the promises of God. We can't live in confidence. You know, there's one thing that is true whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. If you don't understand how great God's love is, you will struggle with a relationship with God. You'll struggle with understanding that God truly did mean what he said about sin. That he separated it from as far as the east is from the west. That he's made you as white as snow. If we can't understand love... The love of God. I'm not talking about the love that we've experienced. I'm not talking about the love of a spouse. How many of you know, husbands and wives, that as much as you love your spouse and as much as they love you, their love will fail at one point or another. It will. But we have a greater love. The love of God. Tidbit. Not even in my notes, but just to encourage you as as couples, as married couples, let me just say this to you. Do not depend on your spouse for love. I'm not saying that they shouldn't love you. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be an expression of love. But your love tank, your sense of, of, of affirmation and affection and identity and esteem and all those things that love bring into our lives cannot solely come from your spouse. It must come from God. Amen. That was free, by the way. Amen. So let's move right along. Amen. But I want you to notice that everything that God does happens by his love. Everything that God does happens by his love. His Forgiveness happens by his love. His provision happens by his love. His instruction in his word happens by his love. Us overcoming fear happens by his love. And so thus we understand this. We looked at this last week in John 14 verse 6. That Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And why is that such a powerful statement? Because God is love. And if we're to receive and embrace and walk in God's love, if we're to understand the measure of how much God gave for us and what God is calling us to, it starts with a clarity and understanding of God's love. I remember a few years back, I read a book um, while I was in college, uh, just getting started. And uh, it was a book that was given to us to read, and, and it was an extracurricular reading, and we got some extra credit for it. But it was a book called The Road Less Traveled. Now, let me just stop right there. I am not going to be preaching from that book today. I'm just making a point. But that book, The Road Less Traveled, basically, what, it, it highlighted two things. It highlighted that uh, humanity as a whole has a tendency to follow after the easier paths of life. How many of you like Shortcuts. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You cut through neighborhoods to get to different places, right? We, 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 we like shortcuts. The easiest way is the best way, right? That's how we want it. But the premise of this book is this, that in life, if we shy away from those things that might seem harder or somehow might intimidate us, if we shy away from those things, we won't discover easier paths in life. We won't discover greater results, If you shortchange yourself in that way, you won't get to greater things in life. And I share that with you because the grace of God and the truth of God is like this road. Many people prefer not to travel it. Listen, in Christian circles and in the world today, you tell somebody that God loves them, and here's what they'll say to you. Well, how come all this stuff is happening in the world? How come I lost my mom? How come I lost my spouse? How, how come I'm dealing with the sickness? And we pawn things on God, and what we fail to realize is that it's not God. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. The Lord woke me up with this a couple of days ago in the middle of the night. He was talking to me personally about something. I'm not going to go there, but I love what the scripture says. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I know. That's what God says. He says, the plans that I have for you are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That completely discredits a mindset that says, God did this to me. Completely discredits it. God is not the author of your hurts. God is not the author of our our hang-ups. God is not the author of our sicknesses. God is not the author of, of our failed marriages. God is not the author of our mixed emotions. God is not the author of our depression. God is the author and finisher of our faith. And so, for many today... Uh, Whether you know Jesus or not, understanding how God's grace and God's truth pave a path for us is challenging. And I'm not necessarily saying that about you, but hey, if the shoe fits, let's change it today. Let's look at God's grace and God's truth and let's explore how these things fit together. Because this road that's defined by God's grace and God's truth is the path that opens up all that God has in store for you and I. Let's turn in our Bibles real quick to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to look at verses 14 and 16 and 17. But John chapter 1, uh, starting at verses 1 through 5, and I'm just going to tell you the theme, the person, that the Scriptures are referring to here is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so it says, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing that was made was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Say that with me. The light shines in the darkness. And that darkness did not comprehend it. Let's jump over to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what was Jesus full of? Grace and truth. Verse 16 and 17 goes on to say, and of his fullness we have all received. Stop right there. What fullness? What fullness is it that God wants you and I to partake of and understand and grasp? We just read it in verse 14, his grace and his truth. His grace and his truth. I'm going to say that again. His grace and his truth. Now you may be wondering, what is grace and what is truth? We're going to talk about that in a second. But I want you to see that God wants us of his fullness. It says we have all received. Man. It says, of his fullness we have all received, and it says, and grace for grace. You know what that's saying in the Greek language? It's saying grace and more grace. Grace and more grace. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses. So that's religion. That's the rules that we were conditioned to. That's what we were taught in church. Listen, most churches today that claim Christ, In in most of the Christian world today, here's what we understand relationship with God would be. Thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that, and thou shalt not do this. How many of you know that you can't keep not one of those thou shalt nots? At one point or another, we dropped the ball. And according to scripture, what it says is if you fail at one, if you fall short at one, you broke them all. Thus, why we needed a savior. Thus, why God came. Thus, why Jesus came full of grace and truth. Thus, why Jesus said, I did not come to break the law, but to fulfill it. And so what we see is that in Jesus, he fulfilled all that the law required, all that came through Moses. So verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but watch this, but grace and truth, say this with me, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine, in light of these scriptures that we just read, I want you to imagine what it would be like to live in a state of complete darkness. I want you to envision life without lights. Life without the ability to see and find your way through. Right? All you know in this life is trying to feel your way through everything. Stumbling along, ending up in places you never intended to be. And then all of a sudden, the lights come on. All of a sudden, where you once were used to not seeing now, your eyes are beginning to adjust and, and you begin to see, well, there's what I've been tripping over the whole time. There's, there, there's the path that I've been trying to find all the time to get to this place. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly the case for anyone who comes to know Jesus. Notice that the scriptures say is that in him is the light of life, Right? And it says that the darkness did not know the light. At one point, that's where we were. And if you don't know Jesus, listen, I say this with all due respect, that's where you are right now. While you're trying to figure out life and trying to, you know, make it your own way, how many of us know that every time we try to make things happen our own way, they don't quite end up the way we want them to? See, life without God doesn't make much sense. And so... According to these verses, what I want you to see is that this path, this love that God made a way with for our lives, has two key components to it. It's understanding God's grace and God's truth. It's understanding this uh, relationship that they, they hold with one another. And so let's turn in our Bibles. For some of us, this is a familiar passage of scripture, but let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. And it starts off in verse 8, for by grace. So what we're about to see is a definition here, an actual account, a, 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 a revealing of God's grace. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, faith is simply the response to truth. So what I want you to see is that for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God verse 9 not of works lest anyone should boast let's turn back to verse 8 for a minute I want to just show you something here notice that it says that it is by grace that we've been saved and notice that grace is a gift of God here's what God is saying What I have given for you in Jesus. How many of you know? We just read it. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We're talking about Jesus here when we're talking about grace and truth. So Jesus came and Jesus is a gift. Here's what Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't a receipt for us to repay God. I want you to understand that what God did through Jesus, how his love made a way, was without conditions and why is that important because sometimes if we're not careful we can fall into a mindset where we feel obligated like we owe God oh you don't understand pastor I owe God my life no he paid for it you don't owe him anything you don't owe him anything now here's what I'm not saying I am not saying that we don't live in response to God in faith I'm not saying that there isn't a life change, but we must understand that that life change comes through grace and truth. His gift, not what we do for it. Verse 10 goes on to tell us that we are his workmanship. That means that we are his masterpiece and we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. Grace is God's part. Grace is the means by which we come to salvation. God says, I love you. I paid the price for you. I've I've done it all on your behalf. You already have everything that I've given. Everything. Our response is, God, it's mine. And I accept it. That's what we do with Jesus Christ. And why is this important? Because it's a gift, it's free, and it's according to his plan and what he created us for. It's favor without any return on our behalf. And if we can't accept that God loves us to that extent, we will struggle with relationship. We will struggle with believing. We will struggle with accepting, God, your way is better. That's why the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But watch what it goes on to say, that next verse. It says, for, it says there's no condemnation for those for, unto those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. And literally what the Scripture is just saying is this, that when you walk in your own way, in your own understanding, according to an old nature, and you disregard what God has done, we live in a mindset that's condemning. It puts us down. It leads to struggle. Thus, we should accept and understand that God relates unto all mankind by his grace. His grace. Listen, wherever you may find yourself right now in life, God loves you. God favors you. God is for you. God is not mad at you. When you drop the ball, God wasn't mad at you. When you wanted nothing to do with God, God wasn't mad at you. When you you completely rejected and, and, and set aside everything that you knew was the truth, God wasn't mad at you. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. It's a done deal. In John 17, 17, Jesus says these words. Now in context here, Jesus is at the end of his physical life on earth. He's praying in the Mount Gethsemane, and he's he's praying for his disciples, and, 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 and we read there his love expressed, his compassion, his care for them. He prays for them. He says, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he goes on to say in John 17, 17, sanctify them. All he's saying is set them apart, but watch how, by your truth. Your word is truth. See, truth sets us aside unto better things. How many of you know that truth really does keep you from error? Right? Truth keeps us from error. And so Jesus is literally praying for them. He's saying, set them apart by your truth. Keep them in your truth. If you read that couple of verses before that, Jesus says, "I've, I've given them everything you gave me. You gave them to me. They're yours, Lord. And so literally what we see here is that truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, and the being of God. And it is revealed by God's word. And it cannot be broken. When God revealed his complete truth, truth came as a person. Truth came and directly related to us. We saw that in John chapter 1. It says that the word, the truth, Jesus, who came full of grace and truth, became flesh amongst us. So God related unto us. And so God's truth is revealed through Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important. Because many times we look at the Bible and we say, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. And it becomes about rules and obligations. And we miss Jesus in the process. The entire truth of God's word points us to one thing, Jesus, Jesus, Whenever you're reading your word, ask yourself this question. What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about myself in light of Jesus? When you're reading the Old Testament, and you're reading, where it talks about uh, the, the first prophecy that he told Satan, you'll strike his heel and he will crush your head. Everything is about Jesus. And so, I want to just point something out to you about God's Grace and truth at work. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So what I want you to see is that grace and truth, which is Faith, the response, uh, which is what faith is, the response to is they're working together. It says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, verse six, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also amongst you since the day you heard and knew. Listen closely, the grace of God in truth what am I pointing out to you with these scriptures grace and truth go hand in hand it reminds me of uh, two chemicals that uh, when they work together they're productive but when they work independently they're very destructive so sodium um, is a soft silvery metal that explodes violently on contact with water and burn skin by reacting to any, even the slightest of moisture, right? And chlorine is a choking yellow gas that inadvertently was used back in the World War I days uh, for people in the trenches. So they would use uh, chlorine to uh, kill their enemy, and it did a lot of harm. But what's interesting about these two destructive uh, uh, chemicals is that when you bring them together, you get a reaction of fire... And then you get this white cloud of smoke and then it leaves a residue that is this white crystallized substance that we all appreciate and some of us love too much called salt. What's my point with that? Grace and truth work together and we get the results of of God's word when we understand them together. But independently, they can be destructive. Listen, let me put it to you this way. Uh, We can't just have grace or truth. We have to understand both of them and how they work synonymously together. This is one of the reasons why we can find ourselves struggling at times and questioning the love of God, questioning God's presence, questioning God's faithfulness, because somehow we equate the things of life and we forget that God showed his grace and his truth first for someone who has no understanding of God most likely they've been told you're a sinner you're going to hell you need a savior listen while all those things are truth revealed in God's word if there's no grace attached to it if there's no revelation of God's love you know what you got a mess just go to 42nd street and walk on any given night at nighttime, and you will see one or two guys with a megaphone announcing to everyone, you're going to hell, you're going to burn, they've got signs going up, you need Jesus. Well, what, what, what understanding of God does that give us? God, you're mean. God, you hate me. God, you're going to destroy me. Why would anyone want to serve a God like that? And that's not how God works with us. See, for the Christian... That's all truth-based. The thinking is, God's word says you're holy, so I have to act holy. I have to behave the same. Oops, I slipped. Oh my God, God! And and there's this life of torment where it's constantly going back to God and God forgive me for this. God and God, Holy Spirit, please remind me if I forgot to ask forgiveness on something because I don't want to burn in hell. That's torment. That's fear. According to scripture, it says that fear leads to torment. Where there's an absence of love and an understanding of God's love, fear and condemnation and rejection and pushing away from God will be the result. My point with that is this, that truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Truth without grace. If it's just, this is the truth, 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 and this is the truth, and this is the truth. Well, if that's all we have and we have no revelation of God's loving kindness, God's mercy, how God relates to us today and how he demonstrated that through Jesus, then guess what? It'll lead to religion, but it'll also lead to rebellion. We will shy away from those things. You all remember or maybe you don't remember when you were a little kid and your parents said, don't do that. Don't touch that. And what did you do? Right? You were were reaching out for it. And so truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. But here's the other other side of it. For the Christian that's all grace, 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 grace based, and there's no revelation of truth, it kind of sounds like this. God loves you. God loves me. Let me live my life and be. Right? It's just, just The spirit of Barney just came over me. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I don't even watch Barney. I don't know where I got that from. My point is this. Listen. If it's just grace, God's grace, God loves me, God forgives me, God, and that's all true. Without truth, the result will be error. Let me put it to you this way. Grace without truth leads to do whatever and a be whatever belief system. Do whatever and be whatever. I remember a buddy of mine, um, loved this guy, man, and he, uh, he comes to me in confidence and he says to me, man, I'm having a whole bunch of problems with my marriage. And I spoke to him and I encouraged him and all that. And then one day he calls me out of the blue many months later. Uh, they, they were going through a whole lot, you know, and, and he says, I just wanted to call you and let you know that I'm leaving my wife. And I said, why would you want to do that? And he says to me, listen, if there's one thing that stuck out to me and I will forever keep in my heart is God's grace. God loves me so much that he's already forgiven me. And he says, so I already know that when I leave my wife for this other woman, God still loves me. God still cares for me. God still for- has forgiven me. And so I'm covered by God's grace. And I said to him, brother, what you think is going to turn out good is going to be your worst nightmare. I said, there is no truth in what you are walking in and there's no revelation of God's love because God's love will lead you to his best path according to his truth not the worst well he went ahead and did what he did anyway uh I still bump into him to this day he is miserable he has lost everything he's struggling he lives with regrets he lives with condemnation and I'm look I'm, I'm not knocking the guy man I still love the guy and God still loves him But he's lacking the necessary tool. He's lacking truth. You know, the scriptures say that God's word, his truth, is a lamp unto our feet. It's a lamp. It lightens the path for us. And so when we understand how much God loves us and we season it with truth, here's what truth reveals to us. God, you really do love me because you're showing me a better way. You're leading me down a path that leads to life. So grace and truth work together. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we read the words of the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace. That is, listen closely, able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Say this with me. That's talking about me. It is talking about you. Listen closely to God's to what God's grace does in relationship to truth. Paul's praying for them, and he's saying, "Listen, I'm praying that this truth that you've received, I'm entrusting you to it. I'm entrusting God, uh, I'm entrusting you to God because of this truth you've received." And he says, "Because I know that God's grace, God's love." God's favor, God's loving kindness, his goodness towards you is able to build you up. Notice what builds us up. God's loving kindness. When we understand how much God loves us, you know what it does? It builds us and we yield to it because we understand it's truly love. And so this truth leads us. But God's grace builds us. And watch what else it does. It provides for us. That's what it's talking about when it says it gives us an inheritance. And so in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, we read. I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, It's the simplicity of it. It says, for the grace of God has what? Appeared. The grace of God has appeared. That's talking about Jesus. Bringing salvation. For a few people. Is that what it says? No. It says, for all people. Watch what God's grace does. Watch how loving God is. It says, uh, he, he's given us, uh, for the grace of God has appeared, brings salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen, Today, I want to encourage you not to take a one-sided approach to your walk with God. You'll know when you're walking in truth. You know why? You'll know when you're walking in God's grace. Because the changes that you feel so compelled to make on your own, once you understand how much God loves you, what you'll begin to see is that he does the change. It's not contingent upon you making it. God is leading us. Listen, God literally invites us to a loving, personal relationship with him. And when we make it about what we do, or just truth, 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 and no grace, what we struggle with is receiving the very thing that God has done for all of us. His love. His love. Love will change you. I could tell you, I met my wife, and man, that love changed the brother. It changed me. I'm sure it changed you too. For those of you that are married, you understand what I'm talking about, right? When you grew up with a loving parent, if that's the type of household you grew up in, that, that parent changed you. You know what convinced me about Jesus? It wasn't what I heard from the pulpit. I let my mother down so many times out of six kids. I gave her so many hits. I topped everyone, everyone above and beyond. And you know, not one time did my mother say to me, I hate you. Not one time did my mother say to me, I give up on you. When I would come home from the streets at 6 o'clock in the morning and it was a school day and my mother was sitting at the table, sometimes with the Bible open and her head in it because she fell asleep. Other times she was just sitting there reading the word, praying for me. And every time I came in, here's what my mother didn't do. My mother didn't say, you know, I'm so disappointed in you. You're letting me down. I can't stand you. I'm sick of you. You know what my mother said to me? She says, are you okay, son? I said, yes, mom, I'm okay. She says, I love you and God loves you. I can't tell you that my life changed all of a sudden right there. But those words still ring true in my heart and in my life. And when I was at my very worst to hear this message, God loves you. God is faithful even when you're unfaithful. God has provided forgiveness. God has a better way for your life. Listen. I began when, when I came back to church as a young adult, the very first message that I heard walking into the door was God's love. And for the very first time in over 12 years at that point, I understood, God, you love me. And God, your love has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. Jesus. That'll change your life. But that'll also change how you receive the truth. That'll change our perspective. Trust God's truth and grace to work in your life. Because that truth and that grace working in tandem are the ones that build us up. Not us. It's not up to you. It's up to God. But as you seek to know God's love more and as you seek to understand the truth and the path that it's lighting up for you before your feet, It'll change your life. As I close here today, I'm reminded of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. I'll give you a a, a synopsis of this uh, because we're running out of time here. But the way the story goes in Luke 19, uh, Jesus shows up in this place called Jericho. The thing about this place called Jericho is that it was a church town. It was more church than... The Bible Belt itself, because Jericho is where uh, Israel's priests primarily resided. It was in Jericho that these priests lived. And so these priests, these people were people that served in the temple. They presented the offerings, they received the offerings, they prepared the sacrifices, they ministered the teachings according to the law. And so people went to Jericho, and that's where they went and they presented their sacrifices. And so it was a church city. The Bible says that Jesus shows up at this place and when he shows up there as he's walking by, this guy named Zacchaeus gets wind that Jesus is there. Let me read to you exactly what the Bible says about Zacchaeus in verse 2 of Luke 19. It says, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. The thing about tax collectors in those days is, that they were Jewish people that worked for the Roman Empire. Why why is that important to understand? Because you were working for the enemy. You were working for the very empire that was oppressing us. What made it worse about tax collectors is that they not only collected the taxes due to Rome, but they collected their portion from the people as well. Under the guise of a threat that said, if you don't give me my portion, then I won't report your portion. And then you'll have to deal with Rome. And so I want you to get the verbiage here that the Holy Spirit uses in relation to Zacchaeus and his state. It says that he was the chief tax collector and he was very rich. You know what it's telling us? He was the chief crook amongst them all. Zacchaeus wasn't a good man, but this Zacchaeus, because he was shorter than most amongst the crowd, runs up as he sees Jesus and he sees the path that he's... And he climbs sycamore fig tree. And as he gets to this tree, he's looking over just to see Jesus. He's interested in Jesus. He's probably heard something about Jesus. He's probably curious as to what this message is and and, and what Jesus is doing there. And so as Jesus is walking by, Jesus takes note of Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus. Mind you, he's walking amongst a bunch of church religious people and he says Zacchaeus Zacchaeus come down from that tree today this day I have to come to your house I need to sit and break bread with you I need to spend some time with you I want to be with you the Bible says that the people in the crowd they they got indignant oh my God He's chosen to go to the home of this sinner. The Bible says that Zacchaeus has a response. I want you to see something. Grace and truth were present. Of all the people that Jesus took notice of, Zacchaeus probably thought he would be the last person that Jesus would want to talk to. The last. And so that impact upon Zacchaeus must have done something because the Bible says that when the people voice their, their, their concerns and, and, their, and their, uh, their, their complaint, that Zacchaeus says, I'll give half of all my wealth to the poor right now. And he says, and for anyone that I've cheated here, I know I just cheated you and I cheated you and I cheated you, I will give up to four times more than what I took from you the Bible says this in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus responded in verse 9 notice what the Bible says Jesus responded Zacchaeus has an encounter with grace and truth he sees and understands you're interested in me out of all people that you would want to talk to that you would want to be with you want to be with me And the Bible says that Jesus responded. And he says, salvation has come to this home today. Listen closely. We can't have personal salvation without a revelation of truth. And at that moment, Jesus says, salvation has come to this home. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I want to encourage you with a thought. I want to close with this point. Take this road that's less traveled. Take God's grace and God's truth. And let it define a path that leads you according to God's love. It'll change.